You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. All right, well, it is great to see you today, and Mark chapter 6 is where we're going to be. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 6, that would be a good thing, and it would really serve you to have a Bible out on your lap so you can look down at this. And so if you need a Bible, underneath every three or four seats, you should be able to find one if you didn't bring one. And so just to encourage you to, to make sure you have that out in front of you, Mark chapter 6. <clears throat> so we've spent the last five or six weeks working through the rich biblical waters of the doctrine of adoption. And so now we are back into Mark um, and like, you know, part like 20 something of this series through the book of Mark. And so we're still on the journey trying to, to make it way all the way, you know, make our way all the way through this gospel. And so Mark chapter six. So in light of just, just kind of getting back into Mark, let me try to reorient you to one of the themes that is happening throughout this book. So in Mark chapter 1, if you'll remember all the way back to like the third or fourth sermon in this set of sermons through this book, uh, in, in verse 17, Jesus calls his first disciples. So I want to put this on the screen and read this for you. This is Jesus calling his first disciples in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. It says this, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Really popular little verse there that, that Jesus says. So he's calling his first disciples, come and follow me. I'm going to make you become fishers of men. I've got something for you. Now, let me just remind you of this. These disciples would have been the last people picked on the playground. You know what I'm saying? They, they were not your varsity squad. These were not like your sharpest, you know, tacks. These were not those people. That they were on the opposite end of that scale. If you were about to start a mission to like change the world, these are likely not the people that you would have picked or I would have picked. Okay, we were left these guys out of that mix. So I want you to think about that. In, in chapter one, he says, come and follow me. I'm gonna make you become fishers of men. Now in 16 chapters, you get to the end of, of the book of Mark and listen to what he does with these disciples. He looks at these same disciples, not, not on the, the varsity squad. They are on the JV squad. These are the last people picked sort of people, right? He looked at those same people that in chapter one, he said, come and follow me. And he says this to them in chapter 16, verse 15. And by the way, this is right after he rebukes them in verse 14. So he just rebukes them, gives them another one, and then he says this in, in verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now that's amazing to me. In, fifth, you know, in, in 16 chapters, it goes from these people, last people on the playground pick, those sort of guys, come and follow me. By the end of the book, He's looking at these same people and he is saying this, I am now entrusting this mission to get the gospel out to the ends of the world. I'm entrusting that to you. Now I want you to go be a part of that and you to be moving that ball forward and you to be pushing that ball. I'm entrusting that thing to you. Now, let me be clear. In, in the 16 chapters that make up the gospel of Mark, Jesus is doing one dominant thing, AKA. He is living a perfect life. He is going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to raise from the dead. That's the big thing that Jesus is doing. That's, that's the big one. But that's not the only thing Jesus is doing. It's the big one, but it's not the only one. Another kind of theme and kind of thing that you see Jesus doing throughout this book is he has invited these 12 men to live around him, to do life with him. And he is training them and equipping them and investing his life into them so he can turn them to last people pick you know, th those guys into people that he can look at and say, now you're going to be trustworthy to take this mission. 
Like you're gonna be trustworthy for this job I'm about to give you. So one of the themes you have happening throughout the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, is Jesus training and equipping these guys. So he's, he's teaching them these lessons all the way throughout the book. Like he's getting them ready for this Mark 16 moment all throughout the book. So, so like think about um, the lesson of grace that he gives them. In this moment where he looks at a leper that would be untouchable in their culture and touches the leper and heals him. He, he's teaching them this lesson of grace. He's teaching them this lesson of power. Do you remember these moments um, that we've covered a, a few months ago where um, the disciples are literally scared for their life on the sea and he comes and calms the storm? You remember he gets you know, out of the boat, they get out of the boat and he casts out a demon out of this man, has a legion of demons inside of him. So, so he's teaching them these lessons of, of his power, his grace. He's got all of these lessons that he is imprinting upon their heart and in their soul to get them ready for this, this job and this task that he has for them down the road. Now he's got another lesson in this passage today, feeding of the 5,000. He's got another lesson for, for them that he's got to teach them. Now this, this miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, it's the only miracle to occur in all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this lesson's really important. Not, not only for them, but it's important for us. It's that important. It would be in every one of, of these four gospels. So let, let's work through this passage and see what, what it is that Jesus is after here. So Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. Now, if you remember at the beginning of Mark chapter 6, he has sent his disciples out. In verse 7, he sends them out and they are going and doing and preaching and they're doing all of that. And then in verse 30, it says this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So they were doing, they were proclaiming, they were preaching. I, when God saved them, he, he called them and brought them to himself. He then sent them. Now that's a good, good word for all of us. If you're a Christian in the room, if you have been saved and redeemed by Jesus, God didn't just save you, he sent you. And they are living on the mission of God. Some commentators think that they were gone somewhere, it could have ranged anywhere between like three and nine months. So, so they were gone for a while. This is a busy season of life that they are in. They are doing things in kingdom, kind of the kingdom world here. They are pushing the ball forward here. They, they are going. They're living sent lives. And they come back and tell Jesus all they had done and taught. And then in verse 31, after this really busy season of life, uh, Jesus says this, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. That's how busy they were. Couldn't even eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So in other words, Jesus is saying, we are about to get some R and R. This is not just about you living on mission. This is about you living on mission with me. That's a big difference. It's not just about you going and doing. It's about you going and doing it with me. So we're about to get some R and R and you're about to be with me. And, and then look, look at what it goes on to say here. Verse 33. So, so we've got the R and R set up. The vacation house has already been rented. They, they are going to the beach and they're about to relax for a few minutes. In verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Uh-oh. Like the vacation just went down the, the toilet right there, right? I mean, I, if I'm the disciples, I'm thinking this. I'm getting a book and I'm finding a beach and it's me and Jesus reading on the beach. This is what's about to happen here. And they get to the beach and all of a sudden there is a great crowd pressing in on them that is very needy. They have come because they need things in this moment. And watch how Jesus responds. 
We, we have this expectation set up. We're about to get some R&R. We're about to get away for a few minutes. Here comes a needy crowd pressing in. If I'm the disciples, I'm trying to figure out how to run these people off so we can get the book and go to the beach, do all that. But listen to how Jesus responds. Verse 34, when he went, to, um, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now there's a sermon like right there, but aren't we... Aren't we grateful for the compassion of Jesus? And when we're talking compassion, that is like a deep in your gut feel for the sake of other people. Aren't we grateful that Jesus has compassion on us and our neediness? I mean, aren't we grateful for that? That when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't look at our neediness and say, "Um, I've got a vacation first, I'll come back to you. That in our neediness, Jesus approaches us. He's willing to come and rescue and redeem us in the midst of that. This is compassion. Then verse 35. And I don't know the motive of the, of the disciples in verse 35. I don't know what they're thinking. If, if it's me, I'm probably thinking this. How can we get rid of this crowd? Now, I don't know if that's what the disciples are thinking, but I kind of read that when, whenever I read verse 35. Verse 35. And when it grew late, the disciples came to Jesus and said... This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, verse 44 in Mark 6 tells us there was 5,000 men. Now, if there were women and children there, which there likely were, this is a crowd that would be upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people. Okay, so that, that's a lot of people. And those, those people are getting hungry. And so the, the disciples come up with a reasonable plan. I mean, even if it did have a mark of like their disgust for the crowd, it was a reasonable plan. These people are getting hungry and we're going to have to let them go to locate some food. Now, I want you to watch in light of this what Jesus does to their, you know, to their reasonable request of let's let these people go. They need, they need to eat. So let's let them go find food so they can eat. And listen to what Jesus does here. I want you to, to see how he inserts the tension into the story. Like he could have just said, okay. Let's just let them go and let them eat. But he doesn't do that. Look at what he says in verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. You, you give it to them. The, the, the emphasis is on the you. You, you give them, that, that them is fifteen to 20,000 people. You give them something to eat. See, Jesus has got a lesson coming right here in the midst of this. He has just called them to do something they can't do. And he is trying to teach them in this moment, this huge lesson that we'll call this, the lesson of dependency. The lesson of dependency. He is teaching them this hard lesson that we all have to learn if we're going to be fruitful and faithful Christians. This lesson of dependency. Now, what is dependency? Dependency is living with a daily awareness of our need for God. That's what dependency is. Living with a daily awareness, like we are wide-eyed to the fact that we cannot do anything of significance apart from Jesus. It is us living wide-eyed to that reality. It's it's living wide-eyed to the reality of who God is, all-powerful, sufficient, who we are, very limited in our capabilities, very weak. Like dependence is what happens when we live wide awake to those two things. God is sufficient. We are not sufficient. And when we see that, it creates in us a posture that is dependent. Now, let me give you a picture of this. Um, You know, I think parenting is like one of the ways to illustrate almost everything in the Bible. So we've got a lot of kids running around our house. One of them is a two-year-old. 
And I'm amazed at the things that come out of my two-year-old's mouth. It's unbelievable, the things that come out of her mouth. And so as a, for instance, a, a few weeks ago, I am trying to buckle her into her car seat. I mean, I would think that's kind of a loving thing to do as a dad, right? I mean, for, for me, when I think about it, I'm trying to save your life if and when we wreck. And so let me buckle you in. She looks at it when I'm trying to, you know, to grab the little things and, you know, buckle them. She looks at me and grabs those buckles and says, no, daddy, I do it. I do it. Really? You're going to do that. Let's see how that goes for you, right? This is the picture of self-sufficiency, self-reliance. That, that's the picture there. No, no daddy, I do it. I, I've got what it takes to buckle this thing in. Sure you do. Yeah, let's see how that works for you. That's self-sufficiency. Now, here's the thing that I love about uh, my two-year-old. I love these moments when something scares her, when she realizes she is in way over her head and she does not have the capacity to help herself. I love this moment when, when like from across the room, it's like no pretense. There is no faking anything in this moment. I mean, you can just tell like there's almost like terror on her face just realizing I do not have what it takes to help myself right now. And so she runs with no pretense across the room, arms up in the air, hollering, Daddy, help me. Daddy, hold me. I love that moment as a dad. Isn't that a beautiful thing to see that, that whole thing play out? Now that is the picture of dependence. It's when we know we do not have the capacity to do what we have been asked to do, what we have been called to do, what the circumstance and situation demands. It's when we are wide-eyed to the fact that we don't have what it takes to do that. And we hold our hands up to God and run to him with absolutely no pretense saying, help me, hold me, I need help in this moment. That's dependency. And this is what he's trying to teach them here. This is what he is running after. This is what he's working toward here. But contrast that picture of, of dependency, contrast that picture with the picture that we see in the disciples here, this self-sufficiency that we see in the disciples. Just contrast the two. So, so look at verse 37 again. But he answered them. This is self-sufficiency of the disciples. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Okay, now just think about what's happening there. 15 to 20,000 people, Jesus is looking at the disciples who have no bread and no money and says, you give them something. He, he is intentionally putting them in a situation where his calling on their life far exceeds their capacity to do it. Okay, this is the tension he is, this is, this is the, kind of the tension he is intentionally inserting into the story. I, I love what it says in John chapter six. It says he did this to test them. Now, I think the word test in John 6, I think a synonym of that word test could be teach. He's doing this for their advantage. He's doing this so that they will have this lesson of dependency ingrained in their heart. He is putting them in a situation where they don't have the power in and of themselves to pull it off. He's given them this moment where they don't have the capacity to do what he's asked them to do, what he's called them to do. They can't do it in and of themselves. This, this is the situation. Like, like he's wanting them to have this moment where he hears what, you know, they hear what he just asked from them and, and that they would look at him and say, we can't do that. Are you crazy? And like it, it, Jesus would respond back, I think, in that moment. That's the point. You can't do that. That's the point of what I'm asking here. You cannot do what I'm asking you to do. Now let's, let's take this picture of dependency that we saw arms up in the air and contrast that with what we see in the disciples here. 
Like, how is it they respond? Now, just think about what dependency in this moment would look like from the disciples. In this moment, I think this would be a picture of dependency. Jesus just looked at them and said, you go feed them. 15, 20,000 people, you, you go do it. I think this would be a picture of dependency. Jesus, you know we can't do that. You know that is impossible for us to do what it is that you have just asked us to do. But, but Jesus, we know that you can do that. We have seen you cast out demons. We, we have seen you calm the storm. We, we know that, that if you can do that, you can also create some bread. So, so Jesus, we're in for doing this thing. But we know and you know that we can't do it. So here, here's what we're doing. We're running to you with arms up in the air saying, we need help. If this is going to get done, we'll, we'll do it. But we need help. We need your help to come in huge ways right now if this is going to happen. That's dependency. Now look at their response in verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they go on. And they said to him, and I think this is um, at best sarcastic and dismissive. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii? I, I would just put that as a denarii is roughly a day's wage. So let's just say 30, 40, $50,000. Shall, shall we go buy, shall, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Are you seeing the picture here? So, so, so they're saying, Jesus, if, if we're like brainstorming ideas, you know, if that's what we're doing here, then, then it's an okay idea. I mean, and we know like you're the Messiah, you're the son of God, you're all of that. We know that. But, but if we're just brainstorming, this is a decent idea. But if this is like a legit, you want us to actually go do this idea, here's what we want you to know. This is not a good idea. This is a bad idea. If, if this is like the legit, like you actually want us to go do this, we're just trying to say in this statement of, do you want us to go buy this much bread? We're just trying to tell you this is not an option. We can't do that. This is, this, is not, this is not within the realm of possibility. See, what we have here in the disciples is a response of self-reliance, self-sufficiency. They can't imagine Jesus actually asking them to do more than they can do. They can't imagine Jesus calling them to, to, to do, like the calling of Jesus to outpace their capacity. They can't imagine that. And here's why. It's because they are living in the illusion of self-sufficiency. Now just know that it's an illusion. It's, it's a world that we create and then try to live in the world. But it's an illusion. Like they're, they're living in that illusion of, I can only do what I can do. I, the, the only thing that's going to get accomplished is what I physically can do. And listen, that is not the way the world works. It's not the way God designed it to work. So what Jesus is doing here is busting them out of their, of their illusion of self-reliance and, and the cousin of self-sufficiency and independence. And he's trying to teach them dependency. If, if this is going to happen right now in this moment, disciples, you're going to have to run to me with arms up in the air. You're going to have to get over you if this is going to happen right now. Now, let's just kind of bring this home. I wish we could say that this was just like a problem for the disciples, huh? But unfortunately, this is our problem too, isn't it? Just imagine for a moment somebody giving you a piece of paper like a survey and asking this question. In, in terms of like your relationship with God, what are your top weaknesses in your relationship with God? Like what are the things that keep you back in your relationship with God that rob you of the richness that a relationship with, with Jesus is supposed to be? What, what is that, that that robs that from you? Now, I don't know what all the things that you would, you know, maybe say on a question like that, but I'll tell you one thing that I think every one of us could say in this room. 
One of the greatest weaknesses we have in our Christian walk, in our walk with God, one of the greatest hindrances and weaknesses that we have is self-sufficiency. And it's so the cultural air that we breathe that many of us don't even realize that we have it. I mean, just think about what like the model American man is, right? The model American man is the self-made man. Can we just see there's no such thing as a self-made man? There's only God-made men. That's the only thing that there is. There's no such thing as like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and getting it done. That, that, That guy does not exist. Like pulling your bootstrap up is you being dependent upon grace to reach down and grab the strap. See, we're we're all dependent upon God. And one of the things that robs us of the depth and the richness that, that life with God should be is that we are living in the illusion that everything is up to us, that we can live within our kind of power to get things done. Let, let me read this verse out of John 15. It's going to be on the screen for you. And I just want you to see this. This is, this is in a tangible verse, what it is that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples in this moment. John 15, verse 5. This is what he's trying to show them. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. Disciples, you're the branches. I'm the vine. Let's get that straight. Let's, let's figure out who's who here. I, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am in him, it is he who bears much fruit. And you see this last phrase? For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, can I just ask you a question? Do you believe that about your life and about yourself? That apart from Jesus, you can do nothing? Or do you believe that? That apart, apart from God's work in your life right now, you could do absolutely nothing. Like apart from God's work in your life right now, your heart stops beating. You stop breathing. Apart from the help and the strong arm of God in your life, I mean, do you really believe that? That you can do nothing? Because I I think if we were just all honest in the room, if we were to look at the motto written over our life, I think this is what most of our mottos would read, mine included. I can do. And what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples and by extension us is that's the, not the motto. That motto is an illusion. You can't do. Here's the motto that is to be written over our life. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. In and of myself, I've got nothing to offer. If I could just lay it down in just as straight of language as I can here, I would say it this way. What Jesus is trying to teach the disciples and by extension us is that we cannot accomplish anything of eternal significance apart from Jesus. And just feel that for a second. Just take a deep breath and ask God to like, God, will you please sink that into the deepest parts of my soul? That apart from Jesus, we can accomplish nothing of eternal significance. Nothing. Nothing of value can you accomplish apart from the work of Jesus in you? That's how dependent we are, that apart from him, we can do nothing. Okay, now let me just take a moment to help you see, see this, maybe in just vivid colors in your life, to help give some substance to this. So, so if I'm going to answer the question, how, how can you see a lack of dependence in our lives? I think the easiest place to see that is in prayer, is in prayer. I love what one author said. He said, prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence upon God. 
He says, think of it this way. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. See what prayer does? See, prayer and and, uh, self-sufficiency, they work on an inverse, they have an inverse relationship. So when self-sufficiency is high, we don't pray. See, when when prayer is high, we are dependent. We're not self-sufficient. See, prayer, what prayer is, is it's saying to God, I need help with this. I am, it's an expression of dependence. It's coming to God with arms in the air saying, God, apart from you, I can do nothing. I need your help in this moment if anything's gonna get done. That's what prayer is. It's praying to a sovereign God who is all powerful to help you. And and see, a lack of prayer, what a lack of prayer is showing is that self-sufficiency is high. That we really believe deep down in our gut when we're not praying We really believe that we have the resources, kind of the business savvy to make it happen. See, that's what a lack of prayer is showing us. And and so let's just ask the question, if you're like measuring, engaging your dependency on Jesus with how you pray to Jesus, I, I just wonder what that would show many of us in the room. A couple of weeks ago, I had a stressful Sunday morning. I mean, it was high stress. So I, I would normally wake up pretty early, start reviewing and just kind of looking over notes. And at about eight o'clock, I normally print my notes and, uh, and off to church, you know, off, off I go. And so on this particular Sunday morning, I pushed print and nothing happened. Eight o'clock, nothing happens. So we're calm and collected for a few minutes. You know, at, at 8.05, I try to get nothing happens. 8.10, try it again, nothing happens. Now, just mind you that uh, my normal backup plan in moments like this push print, nothing happens, is I'll just run to the office and we've got a printer up there, so I'll print there. Well, about two days before, our office burned down. So office is out of the equation right now. So that printer is, is done. So backup plan removed. It's 8.15, push print again, nothing happens. Now at this point, I'm starting to freak out just a little bit. So it's 8.20 now, and this is when I'm in my, you know, in our little office. I holler at Laura, who's in the back bedroom, get the iPad! And so I'm going to actually go for the first sermon out of an iPad, you know, so I'm I'm going for it on this morning. She grabs the iPad, hollers back, it's out of battery. I'm like, oh my gosh, this cannot be happening right now. It's 8.30. I'm not dressed yet. I don't have notes. There is nothing happening in this printer. When all of a sudden Laura comes up with this, I mean, I would call it a really profound idea in the moment. I have reverted to the kicking and screaming strategy to get the, the printer to work. Now, I mean, that, that's about the extent of my mechanic skills. So, so I'm going after this printer, and at 8.30, she has this, I mean, profound idea. Why don't we pray about it? Pr- pray about it? I mean, what, what's wrong with, like, kicking and screaming? I mean, what's wrong with that approach to this thing? And I'm like, well, yeah, that, that, that's probably a good idea. Let's, let's pray about that. I kid you not, two minutes later, the printer starts printing. It was unbelievable. But can I, I, now I don't say that to highlight any, you know, anything other than this. When life hit the fan for me, I want you to see what came out. Self-reliance. I mean, when, when I found myself in a pinch, here's, and I would call this my normal way of operating. By the grace of God, I'm asking for him to change this. My normal way of operating is figure it out and get it done. If you've got to kick it, kick it. If you've got to scream at it, whatever you've got to do, just figure it out and get it done. 
that that is my normal MO for in the moment of life hitting the fan, it's what comes out of me. And I just wonder how many of, how many of us are that? That what comes out of us when life starts to, to twist on us is what am I going to do to fix this? Rather than God in this moment right now, I'm a two-year-old kid that can't do anything apart from you. I need help. I need help. And and can I just can I just remind you of this? You are 100% dependent upon God. Let let me just give you examples of that. How about in our fight of sin in our life? Galatians 5 says that like there is a war going on, flesh and spirit. Like flesh is the old part of us, spirit is like the renewed part of us that Jesus has redeemed. But there is a war going on between those two in our life. And can I just tell you what I am constantly amazed at in me is how barbaric that flesh is in me. Like I'm talking barbaric. Like sometimes what comes through my my brain shocks me. And you know what that makes me 100% aware of? It makes me 100% aware that I am capable of every sin in the book. Are you aware of that in your life? That there's not one of us in this room that's not one weak moment away from absolutely wrecking our life? And can I just tell you that the only way, the only thing that is going to help you fight against sin and say no to sin, the only thing that will do that is grace from God? that you're that dependent upon God for that, for not wrecking your life? How about parenting? I mean, we just saw these parents dedicate their their kiddos. I don't know of an area in my life that I feel more dependent than when it comes to parenting. Like, you know, and these parents are all about to find out really soon, right? That there's a rebellious little heart in their kids that's gonna be coming out really quickly. And you can be great parents, but at the end of the day, can I just tell you what it requires for your son or daughters to meet Jesus and be submissive to Jesus? It takes grace from God. We are that dependent. How about mission? In your family, those that you want to meet Jesus, your friends that you want to meet Jesus, those in your neighborhood that you want to meet Jesus. I I want like a a mini revival to break out in our neighborhood. I want that. But can I just tell you what that's going to require? Grace from God. We are absolutely dependent upon God for those things. And there is not an area of our life that we could not talk through right now that that at the end of the day, we would not say this about it. Apart from Jesus, we can do absolutely nothing. See, that's the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach these guys and teach us by extension is that we are absolutely dependent upon Jesus for every single thing in our life. Maybe you can think of it this way. Do you know what it means to be a strong Christian? This is one of the paradoxes of the Christian life. You know what it means to be a strong Christian, a mature Christian? A strong Christian is one who knows they are weak and in need of Jesus. Do you know what it means to be a weak Christian and an immature Christian? It's to think that you, like the think, you live in the illusion that you don't need Jesus, that you can actually do it on your own. I mean, this is the paradox. Strength equals knowing that you're absolutely weak and dependent. Weakness means that you really think that you're strong. I mean, I'm just praying by the grace of God, God would give us a view of life in this room where we would know that we're weak. Amen? So let me kind of land the plane with this now. So the, we've just seen the, the self-sufficiency of the disciples. And let me end by just highlighting the sufficiency and adequacy of Jesus. 
See, the point of this miracle is not just to say you are, you are, you know, dependent people. You are not adequate. That apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. That like the point of the parable is to say, and and, in light of you not being able to do anything on your own, in light of you being a two-year-old who's in great need of help, now run to Jesus who is absolutely sufficient for you. So, So look at how the story goes. Verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Now don't think like big Panera bread, sort of like big, you know, loaves of bread here. In John 6, it said this is a little boy's lunch. So think of it in terms of like five granola bars and two sardines. This is what we've got that we're working with here. Verse 39. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five, lo- the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men, probably upwards of fifteen to 20,000 in the crowd. Point. Point of the parable goes like this, or the point of the miracle goes like this. That Jesus loves to take what is insufficient, five loaves, two fish. He loves to take what is insufficient and turn what is insufficient into the satisfaction of the crowds. Like Jesus loves to take what is insufficient, what in and of itself is nothing. And he loves to take that nothing combined with his strength and power and make that something. Like this is the point that Jesus is saying, listen, if you will come to me in all of your insufficiency, me, like, like to me, th- th- who is sufficient, I-, I will take your insufficiency and I will do something with your little bit, your little insufficiency. I will do great things with that. So this is, this is the point that he's trying to teach these disciples. That it's when you learn that you are dependent, that you are weak, that you are insufficient, that you are the five loaves and the two fish. When you learn that and that I have called you to something way bigger than that. When you learn that this is all you are right down here and you come to me who is much bigger than you, we turn into that. See, this is the point of the whole miracle. He's trying to teach these disciples, us by extension, that you are dependent upon me. And when you, like a child, come to me, that's when you're actually usable and that's when I actually do wonderful and big things. This is the point. Now, let me just make a quick sidebar and we're done. Dependence does not mean we stop doing. I just wanna, because I hear this, the way I hear people talk sometimes about their role and God's role in things, it just worries me. Because I think this is what some people mean by dependence, is we're going to trust God and we're just going to sit on the couch and watch nine episodes of ESPN in our Superman pajamas. That's what we're going to do. That's not dependence. That is sloth. See, dependence does not cancel our doing. God loves it when little people who are dependent do what they can do, trusting God to do what they can't do. See, this miracle required this little, this little boy to give his five loaves and two fish. And God took his doing, five loaves, two fish, and then did incredible things with it. It required the disciples to take these baskets full of never-ending bread and actually get the bread and hand it to the people. 
See, it doesn't cancel our doing. God loves to take our insufficient doing, our little things that we can do, offering our little lives, our five loaves and two fish, and he loves to take that little thing and turn it into great things. So can I just encourage you? This is what dependence looks like in action. It means you giving all that you are, all, that you're in, all of your insufficiencies to Jesus and trusting God to do all that you aren't. It means you trusting God like that. You actively being involved in the mission of God like that, trusting God to do all that you can't. Now there is an interesting interplay in verse 41. In verse 41, it says this, In taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. And then I want you to look at these two words he uses. And he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the fish, the two fish among them all. You see those two things he says there, the two, you know, words right there in the middle. He blessed it and he broke it. Really what this miracle is intended by God to do is to point us forward in the book of Mark. There's this interesting corollary in Mark chapter 14, verse 22. Jesus is around the table. It's the last supper he's going to have with his, his disciples. And he's around that table. And listen to what he says around this table, the last supper with his disciples. He says, as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, it is my body. Isn't that interesting? Same two words, blessing and breaking. And really what this is intended by God to do is to point us forward to the cross of Christ where we see just how sufficient Jesus is and just how dependent we are, amen? That that we are caught in our sin, red-handed. We're caught in our sin, doomed in our sin, condemned in our sin, assigned over our life is the death penalty by God. But here comes a sufficient savior for you and I, right? Whose body was both blessed, he lived a perfect life and broke on the cross for us as, as he was nailed and crucified for our sin. See, it's meant to point us to that. It's meant to point us to this salvation moment where we see just how dependent we are on God Almighty to do what we can't do, namely to bring us into his family, to deal with our sin. See, what, what the cross is meant for all of us, what it's meant to do to all of us, this blessing and breaking of the body of Jesus is the cross is meant to make all of us stand like this before God, knowing that we are absolutely dependent. God, if if we're gonna be made right with you, it's gonna be dependent upon you to do something about that. We cannot solve that problem. It is, all we've got are five loaves and two fish. It's gonna take you doing something. And aren't we grateful for the compassion of God that would send his son? who lived perfectly, died on the cross for our sin so that you and I could be made whole. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.